Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Welcome to episode 125 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Nathan Ellis from Coalesce, The Casket Lottery, and Abel Baker Fox. Casket Lottery has re-released some of the records via Run for Cover. They got back in the van again to play live. Nathan spoke with me prior to the tour, growing up in Kansas City, seeing shows at the start of age 14, and how we'd both be outed if we tried to hang with the kids today. Nathan's love of music shines through this entire episode. I really think you're going to enjoy. I would like to thank all the Patreon supporters out there. You make this podcast happen. And for all of those that have picked up the book, Anthology of Emo, Volume 1, I am working on Volume 2 as we speak. Well, not now. Right now, I'm doing this voiceover. But at any other point, I'm working on that. So thank you for your support. Look out for news for that later this year. This is episode 125 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Nathan Ellis from Coalesce, The Casket Lottery, and Abel Baker Fox. I know that there's a few bands that you've been in that I think a lot of people that listen to the podcast and follow the site are really, really stoked on. Um, and I want to get to uh, you know the Casket Lottery announcing some dates. I want to talk about your current band um, that, you, that you were up to most recently with Abel Baker Fox. Um, but maybe the first one, or maybe there was one before it, but definitely want to talk about Kansas City and Coalesce. Um, and so is, is, that, is that where you grew up? Did you grow up in Kansas City? Yeah, I, I moved to Kansas City in about sixth grade. So, like, all the important stuff happened here, you know. Before that, I was in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, actually, just outside of Columbia, Columbia, Missouri, in a town called uh, Midway. Um, and then, um, yeah, so Kansas City after sixth grade, and that's really when everything important started happening. Skateboarding and, and punk rock music and um, everything that's been going on since then, you know. How did you find that stuff when you were kind of exploring how did you find skateboarding how did you find punk 
Well, well, I found punk through skateboarding for sure. And skateboarding, I just found through, you know, the, the kids that I wanted to hang out with at school, you know, uh, I was never really into sports. Wasn't well, you know, I tried that, you know, of course every kid tries that. And then you, you learn really quickly that you're not that. So I was not that. So I got into skateboarding, um, just cause there was not, there was no other spot for me, you know? So I got into skateboarding and then quickly got into, um, uh, you know, like the misfits and then minor threat and then, uh, Fugazi and Jawbox and then, yeah, the, the, the breadcrumb trail after that. What was that like? Were you were people handing you mixtapes? Were you was there a record store? Uh, were there friends that just the older brother or older sibling always had the record, or were you searching it out on your own? Well, so I guess I could go back a little further. Uh, I do have an older sister who kind of got me into bands like. Um, the Cure and Joy Division and the Smiths, and um, so you know, I always loved that stuff. You know, I was I was really young when I started listening to that stuff, and The Cure is my favorite band um, of all time. Always will be. You know, they're number one, and they're not getting knocked off anytime soon. So, you know, like I always had that interest in music that was just a little bit outside of um, you know the center of what. Um, people were listening to so you know i was always drawn to anything a little bit underground so as soon as i started skateboarding um you know you start watching the videos you learn music through videos um yeah a lot of the older kids i was skating with were listening to music uh mixtapes right after that yeah i mean you mentioned it all yeah zines you know uh i i found a lot of bands through through zines um and then, and then I found Kansas City Zine Second Nature magazine, uh, which led me to some of my best friends today. You know, Dan Askew, Second Nature turned into the record label that Coalesce and Cast Lottery and Abel Baker Fox uh, put, put out records on. So, yeah, you know, it's a it's just a trail. Um, starts with skateboarding. So, I mean, for was that middle school time, high school? Like, what other things were? happening did you feel like kansas city you know there were there were people that you could hang out with and i know shows definitely went through there um you know and it wasn't just like it wasn't like a small tertiary market that maybe got something i feel like a lot of stuff went through there when i was remembering looking at you know flyers and zines or uh, other tour dates and seeing that it, it, it there was kind of always a show there yeah yeah i think that's just due to us being you know, right in the middle, you know, bands had to go from one coast to the other coast and Kansas city was a spot to stop. You know, we had a couple of really important, um, clubs, the outhouse. Uh, there was just a documentary, uh, released on the outhouse, um, which is really just like this, um, weird, like abandoned cinder block shack in the middle of a cornfield in Lawrence, Kansas. So like all these punk bands roll through town. Um, you know, there's all sorts of stories about, uh, everybody from like Pantera and um, Prong and Quicksand and Rage Against the Machine and all these bands playing this weird like shack in the middle of the cornfield, you know, and that's um, that was a little bit before my time. Um, and then the the venues that I started really um, hanging out at and learning a lot about these bands, uh, like the Daily Grind, uh, Fuse Box. Um, those were all in Kansas City. And, like, yeah, I saw a lot of really great shows there. 
Um, that was like 94, 95, 96. And were your parents supportive of going to all those shows? My parents would sometimes give me a, you know, uh, you know, you got to be home by this time or how many more of these are you going to go to? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's weird looking back at it now because I was like, I want to say like, I started doing that at like 14, just going downtown, really? you know, cause I lived in the, yeah, I, I lived in the suburbs. Like I was like 30 minutes out from uh, downtown Kansas city. And I started just going, you know, I had older friends who, drove and um so i was always out skateboarding with them and yeah at 14 i was going to see um punk shows at, at the daily grind and um i think it's weird now like i have a, a my oldest daughter's 16 and like she doesn't do that stuff you know like i'm i'm taking her to shows now you know but like she's not you know she's not hitting me up at 14 15 going out to these punk shows i would have you know been a little wary of it but um you know i don't know like my parents just you know trusted me and um i don't know i was the second kid too so it was like you know whatever uh, i was the same way i think my my sister was always like why do you let him stay out later and they're just like whatever just he's yeah he's not yeah getting so your trouble. older siblings <laughs> yeah your older siblings a, a girl too it's exactly. different right so yeah. like we're the younger brothers it's like we're indestructible apparently so so yeah no my parents um i wouldn't say they were super supportive of it but they didn't really worry about it i guess so yeah no i think that was yeah i was i was telling them like i'm straight edge like i'm not gonna i'm not doing anything stupid <laughs> like, I'm not, you know. yeah i think that helped too as soon as my parents realized that i was going to all age venues i wasn't going to bars um you know, it was a completely different scene. You know, uh, my parents knew what straight edge was and knew that all my friends were straight edge. So, um, yeah, I think that helped a lot too. What about Kansas city? Can you tell anybody that has never been there? Or what about it? Cause I just think so many fucking great bands came from there. Yeah. Well, Kansas city then or Kansas city now, uh, you know, either way, I'll just like start with, I love Kansas city. It's, it's my home. And I, I cannot envision moving away from Kansas city. It's the best. I fucking love it. Like all these times I would go on tour. I always remember like getting back to Kansas city and being like, man, this is why I fucking love this place. It's easy. You know, like there's the traffic isn't really ever an issue. Um, there's still a lot to do. A lot of great shows come through. Um, the art scene's incredible. The food scene's incredible. Um, uh, but back then, you know, I think, my favorite thing about like growing up in the Kansas city, um, music scene was that it was so, um, accepting and inclusive. And like, uh, the first shows I remember playing, you know, like were like coalesce, get up kids, um, you know, like giants chair boys life, like all these bands, we all just played together and it didn't matter that like our, music scenes weren't really the same, you know, but all the kids stayed and, and watched and were stoked on each other. And I love that, you know, and I don't know if that was more, uh, just the era or, or the city, but, um, yeah, it, it was, it was an awesome time. It was an awesome thing to be a part of. And so go going to shows, like what were some of the other things happening outside of music that was it, was it just high school and figuring your shit out or was it, Oh, am I going to go to college? Am I going to, am I going to do band stuff? Like what were some of those decisions happening through that time? After I found the music thing, I didn't really look, you know, for anything else. It was like my, my thing. It was the most important thing for me. So I, you know, 
I was enrolled in community college um, when I got asked to join Coalesce, and um, I was asked to play bass, and I'd never played bass in my life. I was always a guitar player, but I, I said yes immediately. Uh, I got my tuition money back and bought bass gear, and and then just like got in the van, you know, and just did that for a while. And you know, the whole conversation with my parents around that was, hey, I'm going to give this sh- a shot for a couple of years and see what happens. And then, you know, a couple of years went by and it was still like my thing, you know, whether it was uh, Coalesce or the Casco Lottery, I was still just writing music and, and getting in the van. So that was it. Talk about Second Nature. For me, just as seeing that label and seeing what they were putting out, like I was, you know, always kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to check this out because what they've been putting out has been rad and you sort of at that point you trusted a label um and it he was definitely like a center point i think for um to having other people learn about the bands of that that time period so well i met dan because uh, he worked at the skate shop here in town so like when i started um getting into the skate scene i'd, I'd go to uh the skate shop i can't remember i was wearing some sort of band shirt when I walked in one day and, and then that's how the conversation started. You know, like we had this, um, common interest and, and you know, he was one of the first who started making me mixtapes. And then I realized he was doing the second nature zine and I'd pick up the zine. And, um, I realized really quickly too, like when I was reading, uh, like the record reviews and stuff that like anything that Dan reviewed and liked was what I liked, you know? So, um, yeah, like we really hit it off um, just through music, just through that common interest. And um, we started, you know, trading records and, and making mixtapes. And um, soon after, um, soon after that, you know, like the, the zine was, was really well done. It was really uh, an awesome zine. But when that started dying out is when he started doing more label stuff. Um, so, you know, the first couple of things he did, I think, were uh, coalesce things like an EP and a seven inch and, um, and then it really just kind of snowballed. And I, I think the reason that it snowballed is because Dan never in his life took a shortcut. Like everything he did was always as awesome as he can make it, whether it was the layout or, um, just putting the extra money in for a better recording, whatever that was, you know, like he, he realized it was all important. Um, and there was definitely like this second nature aesthetic, um, and then, you know, as soon as like better and better records started coming out on that label, uh, I would get asked more and more often about it when I was out of town. And, and honestly, most of the time I was out of town too, Dan was with me. Dan was always in the van with Coalesce or um, Casket Lottery uh, later. Um, so like he was just always around. He was just one of us, you know, and um, still I talk to him all the time. Yeah, I think for me, the, the Coalesce Get Up Kids 7-inch um, kind of, I think, blew a lot of kids' minds. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah. That was a good time. That's actually the first, um, that's the first piece of vinyl or first, like, release that ever um, made it out of, uh, you know, demo tapes excluded that, that I was ever on. So that one was, like, really important to me. So Really? That's the first, yeah, that's the first one. So... Um, we did a couple other things at that same time, but that was the first one that came out. So. Oh, that's right. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
any other releases that people should go search out on Second Nature? I always say the Grade Record. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Separate the Magnets is awesome. I just saw them um, at the end of October at Fest, and it was so, it was such a flashback, you know, to like watch them play those separate the magnets on it was yeah. it was great i wish i wish dan was there you know i sent him sending him video uh at the time so um but yeah i i think um uh well those waxwing records are great mm-hmm. um the first blood brothers record super awesome um kill creek records um yeah i don't know man there's so much good stuff on that label and yeah. like i said you know when when he started um putting out records he was putting out my favorite band so it was it was super easy like we always had that like very similar um style all that sharks keep moving ep he did was super good um yeah i love that i love those records so you were a fan of coalesce before joining correct yeah yeah so i was like I told you, I started going to these shows at like 14, 15 years old. I was like hopping in the van with them going on tour, um, at 15 and 16. Like I, I actually, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I missed a lot of school <laughs> hopping in the van <laughs> and going out of town to these out of town shows. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I was always the guy who was just around and, and doing whatever. And, um, so it was pretty apparent when Stacy didn't want to do it anymore that Jess was just like, Oh, we'll just have Nathan do it, you know. So um so that's how that went down. Yeah, I was always around anyway, so might, might as well put a bass in my hands. Yeah. Um what were some of the do you have any fun things that um you remember like if someone just said coalesce to you, is like if there's something that pops in your mind instantly? That band has a lot of um crazy stories out there around it but like what i remember about coalesce my favorite memories are all about writing songs and putting songs together at the practice space like just uh you know trying to um cram all this craziness together and like you know just uh the the madness around that those writing sessions are always my favorite for for any record i can think back on all of them i think too the for outs as an outsider seeing the name and the presentation of things. And I think you could see that there was like, it was a thought process through all of it. And I think it was a little bit smarter. Like a lot of times when there's a chaotic hardcore band, it's kind of a little bit messy and maybe I'm completely wrong, but it seemed like, I don't know when I would see a record or I would see whatever was presented around that band. It just seemed like, wow, they have their shit together. (laughs) And maybe they didn't, you guys didn't, but it just, the perception was that you guys had this thing and there was not necessarily an aura, but there was like a, a you know, the, you didn't want to miss it kind of thing. Uh, well, that's, that's cool to hear because it was probably the messiest band I've ever been in. It's just insanity, just complete chaos at all times. Um, you know, as far as like um, artistically and aesthetically, uh, layout wise and stuff like that's all like Sean Ingram. He was always about like doing, um, coming up with next level shit. And he was always really good at it and still is. He's a merch guy. Like now, you know, he's, he's got, um, the blue collar press. I don't know if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. stuff, but, um, that's what he's done. It's, it's always been a passion of his and he's really good at it. Um, but from a band standpoint, it was just, 
pure insanity. Like we had no idea what we were doing. We were just, um, man, just having a fucking blast. Just, <laughs> it was just, uh, it was just so much fun. And it was just always about, um, trying to make the next song, um, as over the top as possible. And, and, um, and the shows were always just, um, a wild, wild good time. Yeah, I was definitely thinking of the like the aesthetic wise. Like I had definitely the the shows were wild. It was more of just the the uh record. So good job putting that front up. Um Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh one other band too, I think, um, that you guys definitely, you know, you did the split with them, um, with the get up kids. Um what other you know, what kind of relationship did you guys have with them and what was I mean? Again, those were kind of two different worlds converging. Uh, not to use another band uh, but, uh, name, but uh, kind of those you guys coming together, and you know the word emo and that whole thing happening, and there was sort of a you know it came from hardcore. Was the relationship with those guys, and then the, definitely the scene that they may or may not wanted to be a part of the emo scene. Was that something that you guys were aware of and talked talked about? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, right around the same time, Coalesce was writing um, the first first full length record, uh, "Give Them Rope," and then even the second one, "Functioning on Impatience." The Get Up Kids were practicing in the same spot at, at Jess, the guitar player from Coalesce's basement in his house. So they were writing uh, the first Get Up's record, Four Minute Mile." Yeah, yeah, they were writing that record at the same time. So like we'd be downstairs hammering away at, you know, whatever songs we were working on, we'd practice for a couple of hours and then the get ups would come in and we'd go upstairs and hang out and listen to them writing their record, you know? So yeah, we were really close at that time, you know, like, um, really just cutting our teeth, uh, right next to each other. And then, um, yeah. And then we kind of saw them get really big, like right in front of our eyes. It was a lot of fun. Um, I remember like showing up at festivals out of town and the get-ups would play and um, we'd see them play and like the whole, you know, room of kids was singing along. It was like, that was so fucking awesome. You know, we were so stoked. And then like we'd randomly end up at some show together playing the same show in Long Island or wherever. And, you know, it's just so crazy. scene was like that back then, you know, that, um, you know, now, you know, I can tell you who's playing um, whatever show four months from now in San Diego or whatever. But like back then, we'd show up and be like, "Oh shit, we're playing with the Getups tonight. This is awesome," you know. Um, so yeah, we would like randomly run into those guys, and and then it wasn't too long after that that the Coalesce kind of imploded. Um, one of the many times we did, and and James <laughs> James started playing with those guys playing keyboards with those guys so yeah i mean uh, uh there's a lot of ties there yeah for sure and then what was what was the other part of your question like the just like watching the the emo scene yeah like um, obviously yeah uh, yeah just yeah. Uh, what, what, what was your sort of thoughts as those bands that were you know there was a community and scene especially you know kansas city definitely and to have it sort of you know blow up you said you kind of saw them get huge, but like just the itself, that, that scene, like were, um, was it something that you, uh, were aware of? And, you know, cause some, some people I talked to, they're like, I didn't fucking pay attention, but some, you know, people were paying attention to it. 
Well, you know, I think in the moment, um, you know, like I said, all of, all of these different undergrounds, um, stemming from punk bands played together at, at whatever show there was, uh, across the country, you know? So, um, whether it was, you know, uh, a coalesce playing with Ethel Reserve or the get ups playing with botch or whatever, like that was, that was happening everywhere. But I think, you know, the, the emo scene or whatever blowing up, um, happened because it was the most accessible, you know, I think, um, you know, if there's 200 kids at the show and a hundred of them like botch, that's great. But 175 are going to like the get up kids. Cause it's just so damn easy to like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that, that happened right around the same time that band started, um, taking themselves seriously and, and getting really good. I remember, um, being on tour at that same time and getting a copy of Jimmy world's clarity. And, and that was like a really good recording. And like, <laughs> these are all like, this is another punk band. And like, they put out this record. And it's like, Holy shit. This sounds like, sounds really good. Sounds professional. You know, it was like this professional band all of a sudden showed up in the scene and like, everybody started like rising to the occasion. So I think that that's how that happened. I think it was just like the more accessible bands in the scene, um, started taking themselves more seriously. And, um, yeah, so, so, you know, bands started getting bigger and bigger and more attention that way. And another band I want to mention is small Brown bike. Um, that I fell in love with in college and got to see him a few times. And recently their reunion show, one of them, um, I forget what year, um, but it was in New York at the, super, super fun. And um, what about those guys um, connected with you? I love those guys. Um, so the Cascade Lottery and well, the way that my relationship with those guys started is I reviewed their first two seven inches in second nature Z. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. So as soon as I got those seven inches, fell in love with them, I contacted uh, the Reed brothers, Mike and Ben, and um, we had booked a, a couple of shows together for the Cascade Lottery and Small Brown Bike. So this is pretty early. I want to say like 98, 99, something like that. And it was, yeah, right when both bands' first full lengths were, you know, coming out and and we played together a couple shows like the fireside and bloomington indiana and shows like that and like we just hit it off um they're just some of my favorite people on earth they're just my best friends so um and i i love that band and i you know i've thought about this for a long time like what is the appeal why is it so good? Why, why do I like it so much? And I think for me personally, I love that they can write these great melodies, these great hooks, but lyrically it just feels so good. They're just such good people that you can just, you can just feel like, feel that it's like, there's optimism there. And like, I'm, I'm horrible at that. I'm like, all my lyrics are bummers you know like i can't do that to save my life so like i love listening to that and when i hear it i'm just like oh it's just so uplifting and um and the, those two dudes too mike and ben have this like they're, they're not the most singerly singers ever but they they still have that sibling harmony and it's just 
it's so powerful. I love them. I love those guys. Yeah. I think if anybody's listening out there that needs to stop the podcast and listen to small brown bike, please do that. Um, do it. You can start anywhere. <laughs> yeah. You totally uh, and then um, definitely mention um, the casket lottery, which I think, um, you know, to, 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 what was the decision to start that? Was that, Oh my God, I'm so over hardcore right now. I need to do something different. Is that, is, was that the reason or was it something that you just, it was you, you, you'd always wanted to do it. Yeah. So like I, I mentioned earlier, like I was not really a bass player. I was always a guitar player. Oh yeah, you're um, right. For coalesce. So, um, being in the van when Stacy was still in coalesce, when we'd be out on tour, we'd be listening to shutter to think and kill Creek and Giants chair and boys life and always wanted to do a band like that. So as soon as coalesce started slowing down, um, I hit Stacy up and said, Hey, let's, you know, get together and play something, you know, a little bit more our speed, you know, cause coalesce is really Jess and Sean because just, just what they bring to the table is like, it can't be, can't be replicated. You know, like I, when I contributed to coalesce in writing, it was always what would Jess do? You know what I mean? So like, I'd have to come, come at it from that angle, uh, and not really like my, my natural, um, what, what felt right, what felt good to play. So, so Castellar was kind of my, opportunity to, to do that and to to get Stacy back in the van and um play something that was more like what we wanted to listen to so so that's how that started and you know it was really just when coalesce slowed down enough we had the, the chance to do it and that was an interesting time for the scene too because it was starting to people were noticing um bands from the scene uh especially if, if you know 99 um i had a funny story i wanted to tell you in 2000 in i figured it was 2000 or 2001 i got called down to the president of the label i was working at and he pulled out the cmj charts and he pointed and he was like he was like do you know this band i said yeah and it was the casket lottery <laughs> and he was like he was like who are they I was like, well, they're from Kansas City. They're on these labels. And he was like, do you think we should sign them? And I was like, I don't know. I just I just got here. I'm like 21. Like, I don't know anything. Um, and I just remember being all nervous. And like, he just was like trying to get in on that like scene. And I just was laughing. I'm like, is I just it didn't make sense at the time. A few years later, obviously, you know, all that stuff sort of happened, but uh, it was funny to uh, have that experience and then him pointing to your band name. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should have said yes. This conversation could have been completely different. No, trust me. This label would have ruined you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were going down anyway. <laughs> for, for, no, pe- but- for people that don't know, I'd love to you to kind of give a look. I always loved about you guys. I'll start. It was like a little more angular and dissident and then a lot of the straight ahead stuff and i it was like the it was the no knife that i wanted like again well i that's that's a great comparison cuz that band's fucking awesome but you know what's funny about that it's like i never got into no knife until like 5 years ago seriously <laughs> like, i i never i never listened to that band 
And like I listened down, I'm like, holy shit, that band was good, man. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love when bands are like, <laughs> you know? oh, we sounded like them, but I never listened to them until years later. Never knew. <laughs> I never knew. You know, for us, like like I said, like we we thought Shudder to Think was the bee's knees. You know, like we thought, oh man, what if we tried to do something like that? But we really didn't know how to do anything like we were just making shit up and like we were like that sounds kind of cool um yeah like you know from from a songwriter's standpoint the casculary total totally full of shit like i don't know what the hell we were doing we were just you know (laughs) pulling out out of our ass and um whatever felt good or sounded kind of cool we just we just went with it we didn't really think much more than that you know um but yeah, to, to your point about um, bands from the scene like getting signed and and that world approaching, like I feel like we never even really Cascadelari never even really saw that like coming up, you know, like we were just jumping in, um, you know, our, our shitty band and going out and playing shows because it was fun because we wanted to and because we wanted to keep keep playing our playing our shows and keep writing our songs because my favorite thing to do is get in the studio and like uh record the songs and hang out with ed rose and and um come up with the next like really fun studio trick you know like that was what it was about for me um but actually like making money or or doing it for a living was not even on our radar like at all like we knew at some point um something else was going to have to happen. Something was going to have to change, but like signing to a major label that was not even really on our radar. Um, and like even the bands around us that got big, like the get up kids or, um, like when Jimmy world, you know, started having like radio success. Um, we were kind of like dying down, you know, we were taking a break and, um, didn't really see that as like, you know, an option for us anyway. So it wasn't ever really on the forefront of our minds. Yeah. Anything else about the, you know, the records? It was funny when I posted some of the information about, you know, you've got some upcoming shows, the, you know, people that were just, you know, moving mountains or this song on choose bronze. It was kind of cool. Everybody had their own little favorite, which I thought was a good quality. It wasn't just like this one song. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why some different songs resonate with other people, but um, I don't ever feel like at any show we ever played, there was one song that got a better reaction than any other. You know, they were all just like, it was a set of casket songs that were all about level, you know? (laughs) I kind of like that. I like that. Where it's just not like one song where they're just like, play, don't hate me. It's like, no, yeah, just, just play, play, play everything guys. Uh, yeah, let's play whatever. <laughs> so, what was the decision to uh, start up the van again and uh, you know play, play some more shows? It was a great reaction when I when uh, pe- people started finding out about it. Yeah, well, honestly, it was it had more to do with the fact that Run for Cover was uh, doing these uh, represses, and it was just like a reason to get out and do it. You know, like I don't know, I, I love playing music. I love. Um, I like touring. I like um, going and playing some shows and, and talking to old friends and connecting with 
with new people and, um, hanging out with my old friends, you know? So, um, it was just a, an opportunity to go do it, like an excuse to go do it. So, um, so that's it. There's no like real, um, no real thought process. This is the casket letter. I'm telling you, man, we've never thought about anything in our lives. We just go do it. Like, <laughs> either it's going to be fun or um, we're not going to do it. So that's it. Just wanted a chance to go out and have fun. So everybody was available. You all got on a call and said, do you want to go do this? Well, so uh, Junior, the drummer for the Casket Lottery, is actually not joining us on this trip. He's he's busy doing schooling. Um, and, Lame. You know, yeah, we've, we've <laughs> talked to him like the last couple of years, honestly. Like Stacy and I have said, hey, whenever you've got time, if you want to do it, like let's go play some shows or do whatever. And, you know, um, he would say, uh, you know, like maybe in – you know, next semester I can, I can do it. And, you know, that kept happening. And then eventually he was like, you know what, you should, you should see if Trayview can go out and play some shows with you guys. Cause I'm just, I just can't. So we we're like, ah, that's a, you know, that's a good idea. We'll call Jason. And, um, yeah. And, and like two weeks later, I, I just had a run through with Jason and like, uh, Jason Trayview's a guy who's been around since we started playing our first shows. So he's like always been there and it's kind of like how I was with Coalesce, you know? Um, so, you know, I just had like a quick practice with him and I'm like, he's, you know, he knows these songs backwards and forwards. So it's really easy for him to play. So we thought, eh, this is going to work. We, we can do it with Jason. So, um, yeah, you know, we've got a, a show here in Lawrence uh, on the run too. And I think Junior's going to come out and play a few songs that night too. So, um, yeah. And then, who knows what's next? It's gonna go out and have fun and play some old songs. We'll play some, um, yeah, we'll play a little bit of everything. There we go. So, Abel yeah. Baker Fox, I want to tell? Can you tell yeah. people about that band? Um, that band is myself, um, Mike and Ben Reed from Small Brown Bike, Jeff Ginsterbloom, who played on the last two Small Brown Bike records. No, second to last one, and then Dan played back on the last one. Um, yeah, it's just it was really just um, a, a reason to play and hang out with my buddies in Small Brown Bike, and uh, it's always been a super easy, super fun band. Where it's just us, you know, um, we've written everything like through the computer, just send riffs and ideas back and forth, and then get together in, in, in a studio and, and bang it out. And it's just a straight up four piece rock band, um, and uh, and. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> I love that band. It's a lot of fun. That's great. You mentioned studio again, and I forgot to mention earlier. Can you talk about Ed Rose? Uh, well, you gotta you gotta get me started because there's a lot there. I, Ed's Ed's one of the um, most influential people in my entire life. I, I've known him um, since I started recording with OLS, which is '97, I think, and. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think the world of Ed. Um, obviously, a great record producer, great, um, great engineer. Just gets really good sounds. Like I think he's best known probably for his drum sounds. Um, he's retired now, I guess, which I can't even can't even sat on that. Um, I, I just did actually. I just did my first record ever without Ed Rose. I did a record. I did that Abel Baker Fox record with Jay Robbins and, um, which is awesome too. Um, 
but it was weird to not be working with Ed. So, um, what did that mean? Like as a, you know, I think there's those, those things that are part of a scene that help and teach. And if it's the record store guy that always knows what's next, or it's like you said, the local zine, but I also to, to create. And I think every successful scene has that one guy that has a studio that gives that band a shot. That's not too expensive, teaches them something. And then it's sort of, you hope that it's like a full circle moment. It seems like every record that I would see, you know, I'd see so many with his name on it and, it kind of, I think, helped put that area on the map as well. Yeah, well, you know, it probably didn't hurt that the Get Up Kids and Coalesce were were here and both did something pretty significant at the same time, and Ed was involved. You know, um, so it's I know that there were bands. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I know there were bands from around the country who came here to work with Ed because they saw his name on a Get Up's record, right? That's right. Um, but at the same time, like those records that that came out of that, I know are better for it. You know, um, Ed's, Ed's really good, you know? And, um, if he's going to take the time and, and put his, his touch on a record, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be that much better for it. Like, you know, he's done so many good records, so many records that are important to me. Um, even before I recorded with him, he did those, Kill Creek records, which were some of my favorites from from the Kansas City Lawrence local scene. So, um, and then you know, like Coalesce had recorded a couple different things before going to Ed Rose, and then and then as soon as they went to Ed Rose, there was like no going back. You know what I mean? And it, the exact same thing happened with Casket Lottery. We recorded a demo with somebody else, and when we talk to second nature when we talk to dan about like putting up you know the record or putting out some casket stuff he listened to the demo and he's like yeah this is awesome but you're going to ed we're not actually releasing this we, you got to go to ed so um yeah he's he's just uh he's just the best and um yeah i know he says he's retired but i'm holding out hope <laughs> that he'll get the bug again yeah. <laughs> so through all the band stuff that you've been doing, if it's Abel Baker Fox or uh, the Coalesce stuff or Casket Lottie, what stuff do you have you done in the meantime? Is there anything you do outside of um, this that you like? Or honestly, like I got to tell you that like music is um, it's kind of my my thing. You know, it's my it's my outlet, and whether or not it's um, those bands you mentioned or just putting together some own, you know, some of my own stuff here at home. It's, it's, uh, it's what I do. So, um, you know, I always thought that there would be some point where I'd have to grow up and find like the next, like the next passion, but it hasn't happened yet. So uh, I'm just going to stick with this one. I meant more like job. (laughs) Yeah. So of course. Yeah. I mean, I meant like in life, everything, like what's your other, you know, like, I just found out Kaya from Raina Maria translates um, ancient uh, Tibetan Buddhism uh, into English. <laughs> so, like, yeah, what? but see, is that a is that a passion or is that the day job? Because like, that's both. Like every band, every band dude has the day job too, right? So, um, uh, yeah, I've got a day job. 
I, look, I like to, I kind of like to keep my day job a little separate because it's very easy for the two worlds to cross and it could get a little weird. It could get a little weird. I, I work at a Whole Foods. I'm a store manager at Whole Foods, right? So I'm hiring band dudes all the time. <laughs> so it's weird for me to like be band dude boss or just Whole Foods boss. And then outside of work, I'm band dude. So you know what I mean? Like I like that. that. You got, so you can't. You got to Clark Kent it a little bit. Yeah, you do. Like they can't find out that you're a band, right? Right. They can't find your band. Weird guy. when they do. Which, of course, they always, you know, do eventually. Um, <laughs> but luckily, they're all younger now, so you know they don't really know what uh, what I'm all about, and that's fine too. <laughs> I keep it that way. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think there's like a certain age. I think right now, moving forward, when you mention it, they'll be like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Like the Castellari did that um, split with Touche Amore, mm-hmm. and like so, a lot of my a lot of my work band dudes found the Castellari through Touche Amore, and they're like, "Holy shit, you're in a band." I'm like, no, man, no, I was in a band. Now I'm at work. Get, to work. Get back to fucking work. <laughs> it's work time. We're here at work. I love that. Uh, are there any, speaking of all the band dudes that you're hiring, are there any bands um, that are around uh, the scene now? You'd mentioned that earlier that you, uh, you thought were awesome or people should know about. Oh, man, I wish I had an answer to pull out here, but um, I really really don't. Hey, hey, Giants Chair's playing shows again. Giants Chair. <laughs> There's a bunch of old dudes, but, uh, you know, they're playing shows again. They got a new record coming out. Um, uh, yeah, I cannot think of, like, a local younger band that I'm super psyched on. It, it happened to me last night when someone asked me what what, what I thought was going to happen, blah, 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 in the future. And I was like, I, don't, I have nothing. And there was like 50 people in the room. I was like, I got nothing, guys. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the post-holiday yeah. like brain. <laughs> but you know what else? I, I think it's also like, obviously, it's, ha- it's happening. They are out there. They're playing. A lot of them are playing house shows that I would never get invited to because I'm, you know, fucking 40 years old. So exactly. It's happening. And they're they're putting out demo tapes and and they're playing house parties and um that shit is hidden from me so that is great one of the first people to sort of mention that and remind me of that was todd from braid i remember him just being like i just don't know where the fucking punk rock shows are anymore and i was like you're right we don't know where they are anymore we're fucking dealing with jobs and dumb shit and and uh there's there's a kid in a basement right now and they're much cooler than us Mm -hmm. they're playing they're they are doing it we just um aren't invited I love that. We're not invited. Yeah. <laughs> you, We're not invited. Do you think it's okay if we showed up? What if we did? Uh, a couple yeah, 40 year old dudes just roll in. Yeah. What a buzzkill. What like, a buzzkill. Right? You know, are, are you guys cops? Yeah, right. We try to like be uh, like we show up with like, you know, a top shelf record shirt, try not to, you know, cause attention, but they fucking see us <laughs> yeah. from a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> I have a split with Touche Amore. I have a right to be here. Boo. They like boo you. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, all right, whatever. You can stand on the side. (laughs) Yeah. Sure Uh, you do, old man. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, is there any, I mean, I, you mentioned sort of, you know, always wanting to do music and, you know, definitely I love that you kind of have this bug and you've been continuing to do it, whatever facet it is. And it isn't based on we're going to be huge. It was, I just want to get with my friends and do things. Is there anything that is in your back of your mind that you've wanted to do that you haven't done yet? Nope. Nope. I, you know what? I, I, um, I'm, I've started to get into like electronic music. The weird thing about it is, like, I I really kind of suck at computers, right? So the reason that I like music and the thing I like about playing music is, like, I just plug in my guitar and it's there. You know, like, I don't have to think too much about it. I can just play it. So, like, now I'm starting to try and figure out how to do some electronic music. And I don't mean, um, like, uh, canned beats kind of stuff, like whatever electronic music I find I always wish there was real drums on it you know what I mean like that should be a thing there needs to be more keyboard based real drum music um, so like I'm, I'm starting to get more into like that um, you know and and I mean like listening to um, you know like John Carpenter and stuff like that mm-hmm. so um, I'd like to like explore that a little bit more but I don't want to have to like think too much about it. Like I, I think it's important for my music to be like more easily accessible. Like if I have to start taking classes to like record some music, I'm not going to fucking do it. I'm way too lazy for that. Like I need some <laughs> instant gratification. I need to just plug in and play loud. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I will. You know, start drinking less coffee and take the time to actually do that at some point. But until then, it's. But until then, I'm just going to plug in and play loud. I know how to do that. All right, Tom, I appreciate it, man. Need anything else? I am set, Nathan. Thanks for the time today. All right, dude. Take care. Bye. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening and for this current episode you're about to hear. I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted Volume 1, so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.